are listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, let's go to the Lord together in prayer this morning with one heart and one voice and seek his, his face. Let's pray. You indeed are great, O God, and your mercy indeed is more. You've cast aside our sin. You do not remember it anymore. You've dealt with it once and for all with your Son, and so we come to you this morning saying we long to be near you. We long to be near you. We treasure Psalm 73, verse 28, where the psalmist says, Your nearness is my good. Your nearness is my good. To be near you is the best of all. And so we confess as your people that only you can satisfy our hearts. We acknowledge Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In fact, we even say this morning that you are our only good. Psalm 16, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And so we long to be near you this morning. That is why we gathered, that we might know your presence and your goodness, your mercy, your love, your power, and that we might experience you afresh as your people. And so, Father, we come this morning and we have come for you. We have gathered for this purpose that we would be near you. And so, Father, we open up our hands this morning knowing that you will fill them. We come to you this morning hungry knowing that you will feed us. We come this morning thirsty knowing that you will give us drink. We come tired knowing that you will give us rest. And so we pray, would you meet us here this morning? Would you fill us? And we know that you delight in us. Lord Jesus has told us to call upon you as our Father. You are a good Father, a Father who delights in giving good gifts to His children. You're not a Father who gives rocks or snakes to children. You give what your children need. And so we come this morning asking that you would heal our hearts, and you know the sin that resides in us. You know the defects in our character, the corruptions that lie in our hearts, the the hidden sins that are carefully put away. You know all about us. You know everything about us. And so we gather this morning looking for you to work your purposes of grace in us. We desire that you would change us this morning, that you would lead us on the path of holiness, that you would work for our good, that we would see sin killed because of what we gathered today. Father, we have come for encouragement, and we need encouragement. We tend towards weariness. We tend to be tired. It's easy to be depressed. And so we ask that you would come this morning, that you would fill us with joy, that you would give us a taste of delight and happiness. We need this. And so we've come this morning looking for your encouragement. Even more, Father, we've come this morning for the sake of mission. We desire that your glory would be spread abroad, that your, the name of your beloved Son would be spoken of and cherished. 
And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would advance the mission of your kingdom here, in, and through us. Oh, Father, we desire that the name of Jesus would spread, and we pray that this morning would contribute to the spread of Jesus' name. And Father, most of all, we have come this morning to hear from you. Father, we desire for you to speak to us this morning. We need your word. And Father, we want to submit our lives to your word. We want to be changed by your word. We want to be encouraged by your word. We want to know you through your word. And so we ask, won't you speak to us again? And so, Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them and open them up to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. This is the fourth commandment. We're starting in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. Let's give ourselves to God's good word. The Lord says to his people, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word now. Amen. So there's a general rule as you study the the Ten Commandments, and it holds true. The, The longer the commandment, the more words in the commandment, the more controversial that commandment is. And so when you think about it, it's true. No one debates the meaning or the applicability of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And no one really debates the meaning or the applicability of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. We get that. It's straightforward. But when it comes to the matter of the fourth commandment, this commandment about keeping the Sabbath, all sorts of wrangling and hedging and equivocating begins to take place. And we have to assert right from the get-go that this is odd, quite odd, because when you look at the Ten Commandments and you assess commandment after commandment after commandment, it becomes clear that the fourth commandment is the clearest commandment out of all of them. If you have your Bibles open in front of you, look down at them. This commandment is so clear. The commandment gives us something to do. What is that? Remember the Sabbath. And we are told exactly what obedience looks like to this word. The Lord says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And we are told to whom this commandment applies. The Lord says, You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who was in your gates. So we have all of these details, and we're even given the why. The text reads, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Out of all the commandments, this is the clearest. We're given the what, the how, the when, and the why. 
all the details are in front of us. And so we ask, well, why is there such controversy, wrangling, hedging, equivocating when it comes to the fourth commandment? And two reasons come to mind. The first reason has to do with theology, and in particular, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So as you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus is this seismic event that shapes and reshapes all of created reality. And so virtually every Christian tradition understands that the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, has undergone transformation because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Every Christian tradition across the board says that. But traditions disagree about the extent of the transformation, how much changes, how much stays the same because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the second reason doesn't have anything to do with theology per se, but it has to do with our culture. So I'm reminded of the old, the old story, the old saying of the frog and the pot of water. So what happens when you take a frog and you drop him in a boiling pot of water? Well, he jumps out. But if you have a bot, pot of lukewarm water and you throw the frog in there and you slowly raise the heat up, what's supposedly supposed to happen? I've never tried it, but the frog is supposedly stay in that water and as the water continues to boil, it will die. And this is interesting because since the days of the apostles, the church across virtually all denominations and in all places, regardless of geography, has observed a very simple schedule of life. One day set apart for worship and rest followed by six days of labor. The church has observed a very simple schedule of a one plus six schedule. But what's been interesting is that this simple schedule has begun to erode in significant ways in the West in the last 50 or so years. And I think the reality is that in the last 50 or so years, the, the cultural pot has been gradually growing hotter. Somebody's been turning the flame higher. And what's the flame? Well, it's the age of materialism. There's this belief among us that life exists in the abundance of possessions. There's also this other belief, it's called individual expression. This idea that no preformed mold fits our lives. We know what fits our lives best for ourselves. So there's the spirit of the age that has infiltrated culture, not only culture, but our church, the church in general in the West. And so with the spirit of the age, it just doesn't seem to make sense to operate according to a one plus six schedule. Not when there's money to be made or possessions to be accumulated if you're into materialism or if you're into individual expression. It doesn't make sense when there's personal interests or hobbies or sports or recreations to pursue. Why keep this one plus six schedule when there's all of these other things to do? And so if we're going to obey the fourth commandment, we read it this morning. And we need to obey it. This is God's word to his people. We need to cut a straight path through both of these matters, through theology and through our culture, so that we might live as God's obedient children. So here's the plan for the morning. First, we're going to tell a story of the Sabbath. And what we're going to do is is work through the scriptures from beginning to end, charting out the Sabbath. And our, our aim in this story is to get at the heart of the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What is the fourth commandment all about? What is God trying to get done with this? And then secondly, we're going to build off the story of the Sabbath, and we're going to try to apply the fourth commandment to our lives right here, right now. We're going to be asking, well, how should the fourth commandment shape us? How should it rewire our brains, our attitudes, our desires? So let's start with the story of the Sabbath. You have your Bibles in front of you. 
The voice of God thunders from Sinai. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And these are important words to consider because they teach us something about the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse 8, the fourth commandment wasn't created. What does the Lord say? Remember the Sabbath. The Lord is saying the Sabbath has existed before this moment. We can say there's a history to the Sabbath. And I think the fourth commandment calls us to explore it for ourselves. The Lord is saying, remember the Sabbath. And so we want to explore the Sabbath this morning. So where do we begin? How can we learn about the Sabbath? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Genesis, chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. And so this passage comes at the end of a genealogy. Adam fathered Seth, Seth fathered Enosh, Enosh fathered Kenan, so on and so forth. But when you come to Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, these two verses break the genealogical mold. We just don't find out a father and a son's name. There's something else going on here. There's a cry of frustration and hope. Listen to what the Bible says. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. These two verses stand out in this genealogy. And so as you look at these verses, as you listen to them, can you hear the frustration in Lamech's voice? What is Lamech telling us? He's telling us that he lives in a a bitter world, full of oppressive work and painful toil, and nothing, absolutely nothing, that can provide relief to his soul. He lives in a bitter world. And we ask Lamech, well, why is your world so bitter? What is the cause for these circumstances? And Lamech tells us, the ground that the Lord has cursed. And so Lamech's frustration draws us back to the first chapters of the Bible. We have to go back further. And so we know the story of Adam's fall well. Adam disobeyed the word of God. And because he disobeyed the word of God, judgment fell upon him. And what was that judgment? Well, he was exiled from the garden, from the presence of the Lord. He was given over to death and futility. But we have to understand that this is not all that Adam forfeited in his sin. When Adam sinned, he forfeited the eternal rest of God. So listen to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so you read through Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you get this sense that God is a workman. And we find God's diligent work recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1. God labored for six days. He he was creating, forming, and filling. And like any diligent and wise workman, the Lord finished his project. He completed it. So after completion, what does the Lord do? He rests on the seventh day. But we cannot be confused about this rest. This rest is different than our rest. God wasn't panting as if he was out of breath on the seventh day. His muscles weren't sore from all that he accomplished in the first six days. Rather, the seventh day was a matter of enjoyment, celebration, delight. The Lord had completed his project, and he sat enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was resting. 
And we get this sense from the Genesis text. The author says, God saw everything that he made. and Behold, it was very good. This rest is a matter of delight and celebration. And so then there's Adam, the image and the likeness of God. And Adam was called to follow in his father's footsteps. He, like God, was to be a workman. And we can ask, well, how was Adam's work to be done? Well, it was to be done according to the word of God. And considered in a positive sense, Adam was to take dominion of the earth, filling it, ruling over it as the Lord commanded him. And in the negative sense, Adam was to keep himself from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what it looked like for Adam to be a workman. We can ask, well, what what was the prize of Adam's obedience? What would happen to Adam if he obeyed the word of the Lord, taking dominion, filling the earth, ruling over it as God desired? What would happen if Adam kept himself from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, there was a prize for Adam, and the prize was nothing but entering into the eternal rest of his father, sharing in the father's joy and delight, entering into the seventh day forever. That was was head out held out to Adam. And this brings us to the heart of Lamech's frustration. Lamech isn't simply ticked about that he has blisters on his hands or that the harvest was bad that particular year. No, at heart, Lamech was frustrating. He was lamenting that he was devoid of God's joy and delight, that he was stuck somewhere, that he was stuck in the sinful ordering of the world, a world full of sin and folly and madness. Lamech was lamenting that he was outside of the seventh day. But we have to understand as we look at Lamech's words in Genesis chapter 5, there's this lining of hope in the midst of all of this frustration. What does Lamech do? He has a child, a son, and he names his son Noah. And this is significant for us because Noah is derived from the Hebrew word meaning to rest. And so Lamech has a son, he names him Noah, and then he looks at his son and he pins all of his hopes on the son saying, this one shall bring us relief, this one shall bring us comfort. Now we have to be clear what Lamech is doing here. His hope wasn't that Noah would have a strong back and go out in the field and work for Lamech and Lamech could take a break in the shade. Lamech's hope is far more profound. His hope here, saying this one shall bring us relief, is that God would come and through this child, he would upend the sinful order of the world. That God through this child would end sin and folly and madness. And that somehow, Lamech and all of his children would enjoy the seventh day rest of God, knowing God's joy and delight. Lamech is looking for salvation. And so let's fast forward from the book of Genesis back to our text, the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. So here is Israel, and they're gathered around Mount Sinai, and they hear the voice of the Lord. And the Lord says to them, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. And with Lamech's cry of frustration in our ears and his hope, All of a sudden, these verses before us in the fourth commandment are brimming with meaning. Yes, we say the commandment is practical, and we see the practicality of it. Israel was to work for six days and then stop their work and rest. But we know there is something more to this commandment than just the work schedule of Israel. What's more here? I think the Lord is doing something in the fourth commandment. I think this is what he's doing. He's calling to Israel, and he's saying, come here, dear children. 
Come here, sons and daughters that I've redeemed from Egypt. Listen to me. The rest that Adam forfeited due to his disobedience, the rest that Lamech longed for, I invite you right now to share in it. Set down your tools, set down your work, and simply stop. And if you do this, if you obey my voice, you will find rest. And this is not any kind of rest. This is a taste of the eternal age to come. I will give you a taste of refreshment. I will give you a taste of never-ending joy. I will give you a taste of the age of devoid of sin and folly and madness. I will give you a taste of the eternal seventh day. What is God doing in the fourth commandment? He's offering His people salvation and eternal salvation. As we consider the fourth commandment through this perspective, we see that this is a gracious summons to the people of God. One could almost say an irresistible summons to the people of God. But we've got to continue on in our story. And we ask, well, what will Israel do with the summons of God? Will they be an obedient son and obey the word of God and enjoy the rest of God, entering into Sabbath? Or will they follow in the footsteps of Adam, hearing the word of God, but saying, I want something else. I don't want that Sabbath. Will they obey or will they forfeit the Sabbath of God? And so we move on in the story. And we move from Moses at Sinai and we move to the prophets. And what we find in the rest of the Old Testament is damning. So we come to the prophet Amos. And Amos tells us that Israel despised the Sabbath. Amos recounts for us conversations going on among the people of God. And this was one conversation he records for us. They were saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? What is Amos telling us? He's saying that these people hated the Sabbath. They saw the Sabbath as a problem for them, a burden, and they looked forward to the Sabbath being over. They had their hearts selling on selling grain and not resting with God. We go to the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel tells us this, that Israel profaned the Sabbath. And that's striking because in the fourth commandment, Israel is called to consecrate, to set that day apart as holy to the Lord. And here Israel is profaning, making common the Sabbath. We're left with this word from Psalm 95. The Lord here speaks in the psalm saying this, talking about Israel. They are a people who go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so as we look at the Old Testament, as we take a step back and assess it, what do we find in the Old Testament? We find failure. We meet the sons of God, Adam and Israel, and they fail. They've been given a job to obey the word of God, but they failed to carry out the work given to them, and so they do not enter the seventh day. Psalm 95 tells us, they shall not enter my rest. But the good news is we move into the New Testament and we find this, that God's purpose of redemption, that God's grace does not come to an end. And when we come to the pages of the New Testament, we finally find the son that Lamech was looking for, the son that would bring comfort and relief to fallen sinners. And his name wasn't Noah, but the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to think this through because this is shocking and stunning. Unlike Adam and Israel, Jesus is the obedient son of God. Jesus' words are given to us in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
And unlike Adam and Israel, the previous sons of God, this son of God, when tempted and tried, is found obedient. We hear Jesus' words in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And unlike Adam and Israel, Jesus, the Son of God, perfectly copied, imitated his Father. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus tells us, For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And because Jesus was the obedient Son of God, he was given the right, he was given the prerogative to implement Sabbath on earth. And Jesus' words are so great. He comes to us in the Gospel of Mark and he says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then you follow Jesus around and everywhere Jesus went, he was giving people a taste of the seventh day. We can say this about Jesus. He was a lover of the Sabbath. And when he healed the sick, and when he cast out demons, and when he proclaimed the forgiveness of sins, and when he taught the ways of the kingdom, what was he doing? He was giving fallen humanity. He was giving a bunch of lamex a taste of eternal rest. But we have to understand something. As we look at the Gospels, these acts of Jesus, healing sinners, forgiving sinners, teaching sinners are all just pointers. We could say they they function like appetizers. What does a good appetizer do? It whets your appetite for the coming big meal. It whets your appetite for the main course. And so we ask, well, where do we find the the fullness of Sabbath? Where do we find the fullness of the seventh day in Jesus's ministry? Well, this is so interesting. We find it on the third day or the eighth day or the first day, early Sunday morning, resurrection. We have to think this through. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was not simply a happy ending to the Jesus story. Yes, Jesus was tried, persecuted, killed, but now Jesus gets to ride off into the sunset with a smile on his face. No, this resurrection is the, the inbreaking of God's rest into a fallen and sinful world. Jesus and all those who belong to him get to share in the new creation reign of God. They get to taste God's joy and delight. Even more, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the upending of the reign of sin and folly and madness. It's the arrival of what Lamech was looking for and longing for. The systematic destruction of sin. And so there we have the the Sabbath story. And in this story, we started with Lamech. And then we went back further to Adam in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then we went back to Moses and the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20. And then we went forward to the prophets. And finally, we landed at Jesus. So we can try to sum all of this up. And we can ask ourselves, well, what does this story teach us about the heart of the Sabbath? Well, this is so important. It teaches us that the Sabbath is not simply about your weekly planner. Yes, it will affect your weekly planner, but it's not ultimately about your weekly planner. It's more. It's about God's great purpose for the entire world. It's about God's great purpose for humanity. It's about God's great purpose for you. The Sabbath is fundamentally a matter of eschatology. God created Adam in the garden for a distinct purpose, and he gave him commands that if he obeyed them, he would enter into the rest of God. And God redeemed Israel for a distinct purpose, that if they would keep his words and follow them, they would enter into the eternal rest of God. 
And ultimately, this is where the story leads us. God sent forth the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son, so that he might enter in to the seventh day through his obedience and take with him a whole host of people that he's redeemed by his blood. So that's the Sabbath story, and the story teaches us about the purpose for our lives. We exist to enter into God's Sabbath, to share in his joy, his delight, to commune with God forever. And that's what Jesus has accomplished in his life, his death, his ministry. So we have the story in front of us. Now we need to take the story to our lives. How does the fourth commandment, how does the story change us? What does it look like for us as God's people right now or today to obey God's words? This is where we can get a little fidgety in our chairs. Well, what does it actually mean to obey the fourth commandment? How hard is the preacher going to step on my toes with the fourth commandment? And brothers and sisters, we have to follow Jesus' lead on the Sabbath. So we work through the Gospel of Mark. What did Jesus say about the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2, verse 27? He said this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus' words are so refreshing. If the fourth commandment feels like a heavy weight to bear, if it feels like a tedious rule about timekeeping, if it feels like a slog of boredom, Jesus is saying, you've misunderstood what this commandment is all about. This commandment wasn't given for legalists. Jesus preaches to us in this commandment, in this word. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he is saying is this. The Sabbath is a precious gift to you. It's for your good. And ultimately, if you keep it, it will make you happy. And so, the rubber meets the road. How do we actually keep the fourth commandment? What does it look like for us? I want to give you four commands this morning to follow and keep. So if you want to obey the fourth commandment, you need to do this first. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but Lamech's frustration from Genesis chapter 5 deeply resonates with me. Everywhere I look, I find sin and folly, futility, and just madness. I find it in my work day to day, week by week. I find it in my own character as I look at my life. I find it in my family, in my children. I find it in my neighborhood. We're stuck in this ordering of life of sin. And it's the light of God's joy. And it's, it's devoid of God's delight and, and joy. We're stuck here. And this is where we find good news and the good news of the gospel. Because Jesus is the Lord and the lover of the Sabbath. What does Jesus do? Well, he calls us to leave behind the old ordering of the world. He says you can escape that and enter into an age of rest. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us how to do it in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus comes to a bunch of Lamechs and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have the fourth commandment in front of us. How do we obey the fourth commandment? Well, you obey the fourth commandment by turning from your sin and embracing Jesus day by day, week by week, year by year. You obey the fourth commandment by preaching the gospel to yourself, saying this, there's only rest for my soul in Christ Jesus. I will only find gladness and joy in this life from the hands of Christ and from the hands of Christ alone. 
I will only escape the reign of sin and folly and madness. I will only escape that in my own life. My family will only escape it. My neighborhood will only escape it through Jesus Christ. That's where I'm going to find wisdom and meaning. That's where I'm going to find comfort and relief. And so the fourth commandment, just like the first three commandments, lead us directly to Jesus Christ. To obey the commandment is to believe the gospel. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So command number one, trust in Jesus. Command number two, you need to stop and you need to rest. There's simply no way of getting around this. The Lord commands his people to stop their toil, stop their work, stop their labor, and rest. And as we look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we have to insist that the fourth commandment and this application of stopping and resting is not ad hoc, it's not random. The reason why we have to stop, the reason why we have to rest is because God himself is our pattern. God himself stopped and rested. The commandment says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. It's so simple when we think about the logic of the fourth commandment. God has become our father and he calls us to imitate him. The commandment is saying, be like your daddy. He rested after work. Now you need to rest after work as well. Now as we think about the commandment, it's quite easy to understand. If you work in the trades, what does the fourth commandment mean? It means a certain day you need to stop your work, set down your tools and rest. Or if you work behind a a desk in an office, the fourth commandment's easy to understand. Put away your computer, put away your phone, stop and rest. But on the other hand, it's a really difficult commandment to obey. I find it difficult to obey because there's this attraction, there's this craving that some of us have for our work. We can never put our work away. We can never just stop and rest. And what I think the fourth commandment is doing in these ten words that God's give us, it serves as a diagnostic tool. And the Lord is coming to us in this commandment saying, can you stop? Can you rest? And the Lord is saying, if you can't stop, if you can't rest, there's something wrong with you. Because you're not following in my footsteps. What you will ultimately find is if you can't keep the fourth commandment, you're likely not keeping the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before you. So if you can't stop, if you can't rest, you should ask these questions of yourself, questions like these. Well, why do I work so much? Who or what do I really trust at the end of the day? What is it that makes me really happy? What is it that I really need? What is it that I think that's actually going to bring me comfort and relief in this world? So if we're going to obey the fourth commandment, we trust in Jesus, we stop, we rest, and this brings us to a third command. We need to worship. So as we think about the life of worship, we understand, we've been taught that worship is to encompass our whole life. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. And so that means whether you're changing a poopy diaper or shoveling the driveway or carrying on with menial labor, whatever it is, your calling is to make much of God in that activity, to worship Him. And it gives your work dignity. But when we come to the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment calls for a specific intensification of that worship on a special day. So when you're in the Old Testament, in the days of Moses, the people of God would gather on Saturday, and they would stop their work, and then gather to study the Word and worship God. They would have a holy convocation 
to the Lord. They would have an assembly to the Lord. And when we go to the New Testament, we find the people of God doing the same thing. They stop their work and gather together to study the Word and worship God. There's this basic continuity, but then there's this one difference. There's this difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The church in the Old Testament met on Saturday to worship the Lord, but then in the New Testament, that day changes to Sunday, and we ask, well, why that change? Well, it's because the day, it's the day that the Sabbath broke into this world, the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's why Christians meet Sunday morning. And so we ask, well, what does it look like to obey the fourth commandment? Well, practically, obedience looks like stopping your work, gathering together with God's people to worship Him Sunday by Sunday or Lord's Day by Lord's Day. That's what obedience to the fourth commandment looks like, devoting yourself to the meeting and worship of God. We have to insist as we think about this application, it isn't stodgy, it isn't legalistic. It's actually word-driven. If you go to your New Testament and search out the New Testament, you'll find that this is a distinguishing mark of the people of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means to be a person who devotes himself or herself to the corporate worship of God. And even more, this application is actually joy-driven. You can broaden out your gaze. You can search out the scriptures from the beginning to the end, and you will find this theme. There is joy. There's abundant joy when God's people gather together to worship him. You want joy? Go to the public worship of God. I love Psalm 43, verse 4. The psalmist says this, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with lyre, O God my God. The psalmist is what? He's looking for joy, and he realizes he's only going to find the joy of God in the midst of the people of God gathered for worship. I will go to the altar, and then I'm going to pick up my lyre and praise you, God. And so, brothers and sisters, this is where the fourth commandment gets to us, and the fourth commandment has to get down into our bones. As we think about it, the fourth commandment must determine the schedules we commit our families to. The recreations we partake in, the projects we take on, the things we give ourselves to. In the fourth commandment, the Lord comes to us and he says, your schedule is mine. And I desire your worship on a specific day of the week. Won't you give it to me? And if you give it to me, you're going to find rest for your soul. You're going to find joy and delight. So we've got three commands in front of us. Trust in Jesus. Stop, rest and work. And these first three commands are calling you to enjoy the Sabbath. They're they're beckons, they're invitations saying, come and enjoy the Sabbath, what Jesus has accomplished for you. And I have a fourth command for you. In this fourth command, I'm calling you to become an agent of the Sabbath. So when you study Jesus's ministry closely, it's it's so interesting to think about this, that much of Jesus's ministry of what's recorded for us takes place on a specific day of the week, and it's the the Sabbath. The gospel writers have this concern about what Jesus does on the Sabbath. What do we find Jesus doing on the Sabbath again and again and again? Well, you find him doing good to sinners. We find him doing good to the hurting and the downtrodden. We find him healing and serving and helping and saving. And so how do we keep the fourth commandment? Well, we keep the fourth commandment by following in Jesus' footsteps, by doing good works. And so the fourth commandment is actually a call to action in a very certain way. So what does it look like to obey the fourth commandment? Well, it it might look like inviting that couple 
or that single man, that single woman over for dinner or lunch after church and inviting that person to enjoy the rest of your home. Or it might mean go and tangibly meet someone's physical needs on the Lord's Day. Perhaps you pick up an outstanding bill you know that someone's struggling with, giving them rest. Or you know that they need a helping hand, so you go and help them, giving them rest. Even more, I think it means looking for opportunities to spread the message of Jesus. What does it look like to obey the fourth commandment? Well, it looks like making time for that conversation that you've been putting off. Let's grab coffee and sit down and chat about this. Or it looks like knowing that your friend or brother or sister is discouraged and you drop off a book for them that will help them on their way or, or sending that text message, just taking time for that. What does it look like to obey the fourth commandment? It looks like devoting yourself to good works, to being an agent of the Sabbath, bringing rest to other people tangibly and with the gospel. And so the Lord speaks to us this morning this great word. It's an invitation. He says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And so what is our God doing? He's calling us to enter his joy. He's calling us to enter his delight. He's calling us to peace. And so the question this morning is, will you obey the Lord? Will you obey the Lord and enter into the seventh day rest? Will you do it by obeying and trusting in Jesus? Will you do it by resting and stopping your work? Will you do it by giving yourselves the good works? Will you do it by devoting yourself to worship? And if you do these things, you will find the rest of God. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for this word, and we confess this morning that we need this word. We are a people who need rest. And so we ask that you would teach us how to rest. And Father, would you teach us how to trust in Jesus for rest day by day, week by week? Would you give us a burning conviction to convict to, that we might give ourselves to worship and good works? And Father, would you meet us when we stop and rest? And would you refresh our hearts, pointing us ahead to the eternal rest that awaits all of those who trust in Christ? Would you be our help now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.